0: Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I'm Pastor Ed, and I come to you from McKinney, Texas. This is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. Uh, anyway, if you're listening to me coming from SoundCloud or via podcast or anywhere from the Internet, God wants you to know today that He's very pleased with you joining us today. For the, for the Word of God says anytime we take our time out of our own lives and we do something for God, We make God important in any way in our lives. This is pleasing to God because God is all about relationship. And in relationship, you do the things that please the one whom you love. That's what relationship is all about. You trust them and you do things that please them. And so if you're taking your time out of your day, you're pleasing God because he loves that you tune into his word so that you can get fed Either Whether you're a Christian or whether you're a non-believer or whether you're backslidden, God's excited that you're here today and listening. Anyway, uh, we always start our service with a word of prayer. So if you guys want to join me, I'm going to pray. And i got to help us understand his word today because uh, the Bible says no one can understand the words of God unless it be by the spirit of God. So let's pray and ask God to bless this time together and bless our word today. And Lord, we thank you and we love you and we praise you. And uh, we, we enter your courts with thanksgiving and praise, Lord God, as the great prophet David said. And, Lord, we just uh, thank you for another day, Lord, that we get to have on this earth that you've given us. Lord, it's, every day is a gift. Every breath is a gift. Every heartbeat is a gift, Lord God. So we just thank you, Lord God, for these wonderful, wonderful, wonderful gifts that you give us. And, of course, Lord, we, we thank you for the most wonderful gift of all, your holy word, Lord, and, and what it tells us about you and, and who you are, Lord God, and and your heart towards mankind. Lord, we thank you for those most precious gifts overall. And Lord, we thank you that we're all here. And I thank you for everybody that will listen to this message from, from now until the end of time when you come back. And I just ask, Lord God, that you would help us understand your word today. For Lord, I'm not the teacher. I'm just the man whom you're speaking through, Lord, your word. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would speak through me Lord God, that I would not get in your way today, Lord God, but yet you would speak through me, to me even, and as well as to all the people that will ever listen to this message. We thank you, Lord God. I just pray you'd speak to us. And as I prayed even before the service, or as before this main service started, Lord, I prayed that, Lord, we would listen to your word and that we would do something with it, Lord, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, Lord, but that we'd be doers of your word. Lord God, please. And so we ask all these things. we pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So you can turn to Acts 4, 32 through 37. That's where we're going to be today. But I won't read them or teach them until after I give you my overview of the message, The Goodness of God Leads Men to Repentance, from two weeks ago. I kind of took a week off. Praise God for rest. I really needed it. I needed to seek the Lord on some issues. And the Lord gave me some awesome time to do that and spoke in mighty awesome ways. Anyway, so the message, the goodness of God leads men to repentance. Just a quick overview, just a quick recap. I covered several topics in this message and all were aspects of the last part of the disciples' prayer of the deliverance that they got from, that God gave them from the evil religious leaders. My one thing I covered, the disciples praying about God's sovereignty over the situation of Jesus Christ and religious leaders. You know how, uh, God made them, uh, kill Jesus. Because that needed to happen so that mankind could have salvation. And that part of the prayer I talked about being intended on reminding themselves of God's control over their situation also, because they were in trouble with the religious leaders, to help them not be afraid. Hence, them praying about boldness to continue the work Christ called them to do. Then, two, them asking God to keep the method of the church growth going by keeping the miracles going, right? Showing us that God's heart is for the lost as is he wants our heart to be for the lost as well, too. Number three, God's response to their prayer, the whole place they're in, being shaken, remember, and then being filled with God's Holy Spirit, and then them going out and preaching Christ boldly to the unsaved. Then I spent about the last quarter of the message talking about God's heart for the lost and and us having the same heart in the way God told us to share Christ to the unsaved, to, to show God's goodness, because it is what? The goodness of God that leads men to repentance, right? And of course, I also spoke against the wrong ways to share Jesus Christ, calling people names, condemning them, commanding them to stop sinning. And of course, since you can't do any of that in a kind and loving way, it's the not the right way to share Jesus Christ with others, right? Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ said that Christians should shine their lights before men, that they would what? See our good works, right? And then glorify God. Well, you can't do that in a good... You can't do those things by calling people whores and prostitutes and slutbags and flamers and evil words and evil things. You just can't do that. It's impossible. You can only do that by showing them goodness and being loving and being kind. Not holding back the true message of what the Bible says, but doing that in a love, a loving and kind and generous, you know, and and thoughtful and gentle way. Anyway, Christians, I just want to close with this. Just remember, if you're sharing Jesus Christ, share the Bible, share what God says, but do it in a loving and kind and gentle way as 1 Corinthians and Galatians 5, what the fruit of the Spirit says that we should be, because that's really the fruit of the Spirit. And if you're not doing it that way, you need to examine yourself as what you really are, a Christian, because if you're not operating in the fruit of the Spirit, do you really have the Spirit of God living within you to begin with? All right, let's get on to our new sermon, shall we? Message of the sermon today is, They were of one heart and one soul. They were of one heart and one soul. One. So we're going to read Acts four thirty-two through 37 to, to finish the chapter actually today. So if you guys want to join me or you can just listen along, Acts four thirty-two. We read Luke right to us this. Thou, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So their prayer ended and answered by God, him filling them with his Holy Spirit, which caused them to steadfastly preach Jesus Christ boldly to the unsaved. And then look what Luke Writes to us next about these disciples something, some of the most powerful words in all the Bible. Just the first part of verse 32. Now the multitude. That tells us a lot. Remember, we had done some math earlier and there were 3,000 saved at the day of Pentecost and there were 5,000 saved when the lame man got healed and then they started out with 120. So they had about 8,120 people and growing. So the multitude of the thousands of those who believed. These would be the disciples, the apostles, the followers of Christ were of One heart and one soul. First, that word of one heart. This is very powerful. Strong's Greek word here, cardia. And listen to what of one heart means. It denotes the center of all physical and spiritual life. Well, that was all together. The soul or mind, as the fountain and seat of, listen, their thoughts. They were of one heart in their thoughts, their passions. One heart in their passions, one heart in their desires, in their appetites, in their affections, in their purposes, and their endeavors. Everything they did was of one heart. They were all together. Anything that they thought was of one heart. And then a soul, the seed of the feelings, desires, affections, or aversions. What Luke writes here intrigues me. It intrigues me indeed. Why? What Luke really tells us here was that all of these disciples, think of this, had no differences between one another. Think of it. Zero schisms. Zero. Wow, right? Within their church body. Zip. Zilch. Zero. Nothing. Going to, by the definitions of having one heart and one soul from Strong's, we can determine that they had no differences in their theology. They all work together as one unit, just having many parts, with zero friction between any of them in any area, and this just blows my mind. This just, it just makes my mind blow up. And the reason I use that term twice is that we're not talking about just a couple people here. We're not just talking about 6, 7, 10 people, 100 people, 500 people. We're talking about thousands of Christians all together and being all of one heart and one soul and in all these amazing ways. Think of it. Over 8,000 people having no differences in who they believe Jesus Christ to be, how people are to be saved, who was in charge, anything having to do with the apostles' teaching. they a place for God in that church. They worked together with zero friction between any of them, in every area of ministry, and in every area of their own personal life. They were of one heart and one soul. Again, this blows my mind. I've never, ever, 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 ever heard of a church or a group of Christians being this way ever not in my lifetime not in the bible's lifetime we're going we'll get to that later and not even in the church history time we never ever ever read of another christian church in all of christian history that it follows these lines of this togetherness of this 100% togetherness this 100% of oneness ever 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 a good but sad saying for today and really a good but sad saying that really characterizes church history, even from after this time in the Bible, is if if you have a hundred Christians in one church, then you have a hundred different opinions about the Bible in that one church, because everybody has different opinions and different thoughts of Scripture, but not this church here in Acts 4. They were of one heart and one soul. This was a super special church of God. This was a super special time period for God and his church at this time. Now, and so much so were these thousands of Christians in togetherness having one heart and one soul to work together and believe as one in harmony with one another with zero schisms. Look at verse 32. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. The only word I got for that is wow. 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 That's all I could say. They shared their possessions, everything that they had and owned, with one another. They didn't say anything was theirs. Oh, that car, oh, I mean, today, that car, that car's not mine. That car's, well, whoever wants it. Oh, that chair, oh, it's not mine. It's whoever wants it. Oh, that that food that I got, oh, that's not mine, whoever wants it. That's how they were. They didn't lay any self-claim to the possessions that they owned. This is crazy, amazing, and wild. Some words come to mind here as I read how they were towards one another. Words like selflessness. Words like sacrifice. Words like pure love. The word agape in the Bible. Now now this is not phileo, brotherly love. This is Agape, the kind of pure love that Christ showed for us and, and the, on the cross. And then Paul wrote, writes about in Romans 5:8, but God demonstrates His own love, Agape love, toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And see this? They're showing that kind of love for us. Real love, they show it here, is sacrificial. Real love is giving. Real love holds others better than ourselves. Real love is serving one another. Real love lays down our lives for one another. And these early Christians demonstrated their love for one another better than any other people group I've ever heard of, ever. They really had a divine love for one another. They were really a special Group of people, these devoted followers of Christ emulated every characteristic of love that's written in 1 Corinthians 4 through eight. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. And these early Christians, in this Acts four church emulated every single one of those characteristics of love, and they were so special, so special indeed. And as they lived as a perfectly oiled machine, totally loving and sacrificing for one another, being one heart and in one soul, having all things in common, God blessed their church in mighty ways. Look at verse 33 again. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. God honored their unity. God honored their love for one another by giving them a great power to preach with. And we know that power to be the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul, which was Saul at this time, wasn't part of the church at this time. But God was with him the same way once he became Paul. Listen to what he says, what he writes in 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except... Jesus Christ and him crucified. I wish that's all I knew, is Jesus Christ crucified. I, anyway, and, and, I was, and he goes on to say, And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in wisdom of men, but in the power of of God. The power of the Acts 4 Christians and Paul were operating was the power of God's Holy Spirit. God's manifestations of power to those that were listening to him preached, those that were unsaved and saved alike. And they preached, all of them, these 8,000 plus Christians, all together with God's Holy Spirit power doing great wonders and works amongst the peoples. <clears throat> but not only did they preach with this Holy Spirit power, did Luke tell us here, they also preached with great grace being upon them. Biblically, the word grace has many definitions, but none of the words of the definitions of grace and the Strong's fit this section like what we know would happen here, like this one. Goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. Favor. And this is the grace That was upon them. I do believe during this special time period when these awesome Christians were of one heart, one soul, God had given them tremendous favor with the peoples that they preached to as a whole because what? So many people were receiving their message. So many people were receptive to the message that they were given of Jesus Christ. And so many people were responding, right? I mean, over 8,000 people had gotten saved in just a short amount of time. Uh, It was just an amazing time. They preached with great power, God's Holy Spirit, and great grace years back when the lord was using me mainly for street evangelism many times in many places god gave us his great power to preach and he also gave us his great favor and by this i mean his great safety and his great receptive favor with the peoples that we were witnessing to not many people came to the lord because of the message that's preached in america we have an american gospel ladies and gentlemen it's not a good gospel we have an american gospel and then we have a biblical gospel and i teach the biblical gospel and most people only like the american gospel because it's easy believism but anyway a lot of people listened not a lot of people got saved but god gave us great favor and, and safety in the areas that we went many areas we went were dangerous we might have been the only two to three white people there and praise god He always gave us great power and great grace and great safety. And nobody ever hurt us, not one time. As I was writing this sermon, God brought back to my mind one time, it was just me and another brother, and we were at this car wash off of Walnut Hill. And it was on the slower side of the traffic, and it was 10 o'clock or later at night, and we walked back into this car wash, and there must have been 30 to 40 African Americans back there, and they were all dealing drugs and me and my one brother, only two white guys there. Uh, this was behind the car wash, not even on the street side, because they were dealing drugs, and so they didn't want their, you know, their what they were doing to be seen. But of course, us going back there to preach to them, of course that meant we had to walk back into that, away from traffic, away from the public eye, and kind of back, kind of secluded, where anything really could have happened, and yet. Nothing ever happened to us. The police ended up coming, praise God, after we preached for a little while and kind of broke them up. I think they arrested some, but nothing ever happened to us. Dark alleys, parking lots, dart stations, 11, a.m., or 11 p.m., 12 a.m., pitch black outside, clubs in full swing, drunk people, prostitutes. One fellow pulled a knife on us one time and I asked him to pray for him. And he just melted like butter. Another guy got so angry with us at a dart station that he lifted up his shirt so he could threaten us with his gun that he had on his side because that's how much he didn't like hearing the gospel of the Bible instead of the gospel of the American gospel. But bless God, praise God, neither I nor anyone that was ever with me was ever touched one time and people as a whole were receptive to at least hearing what we had to say and God planted many, 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 many seeds. Ah, Fun times, I remember those times. Anyway, getting back, so far we see these early Christians in their church operating as a well-oiled machine in 100% togetherness in every way. Remember, Luke writes that they were of one heart and one soul, walking with great sacrificial agape love and generosity towards one another as they had all things in common. They were 100% Selfless, They had 100% selflessness. They preached the gospel with the great power of the Holy Spirit and great signs and having great grace and favor with most peoples, of course, not the religious leaders. You always have those that rebel, right? And on top of all of that is if all of that wasn't awesome enough or awesome sauce, right? Awesome, awesome, amazing sauce, right? Look at the first part of verse 34. It gets even better. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked So all the disciples and apostles had enough food, enough clothing, enough supplies to live, and everyone had enough of whatever they needed. They were in zero lack. They all had kind of, you could say, a communal living. And I'll talk about that in a minute too. But why? How is it all possible? How is it possible for 8,000 plus people to have all things in common and not be in need of anything. How is it possible that no one lacked anything? The scripture tells us in the rest of the section. Pick up there where I left off where it said lacked in verse 34 and read it. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them. Everybody sold everything that they had. Their lands, their houses, where did they live? I'll talk about that. They all sold their lands and their houses and they brought the proceeds, all of what they had of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country Cyprus, having land, sold it, all his land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. They go above and beyond their obvious one heart, one soul, total togetherness, agape love that they have for one another by being 100% of the same everything and sharing everything with everyone amongst themselves. And here we see that they show even more love and devotion and commitment to each other by doing what? By supporting God's church. That's what they did. They supported God's church. Again, I've never seen this kind of total devotion to God in my life or to his church either shortly after this nor nor even throughout church history after this. They, They went, they sold everything that they had. They came to the apostles, Peter and the other 10 plus Matthias who had been elected to be the other apostle and they laid it at their feet and they said, here you go, church, leaders of the church, distribute it, do with it what God leads you to do. They gave it to the leaders of the church, who then delegated out all the finances that came in to where they needed to go. The Christians and disciples uh, dedicated themselves totally to God's mission of the church and supported their church and each other with each other's finances, motivated by their new love for God and each other. And this is so, so powerful. Because of what Luke wrote in this section, plus taking other sections of scripture into account, people have formulated a few different things about this early church. As I said earlier, I mentioned that word commune. Many people, including myself, believed that this was a commune type of a church, as we just read there that they sold all they sold their houses and lands, and they laid them at the apostles' feet, whatever they got from them. And the second thing is apostles, uh, the official leaders of this church, didn't have regular, secular, non-religious jobs. Their only job was to take care of God's church, disciple people, lead people to the Lord, study the word of God, you know, do miracles, so on and so forth. Well, why did people believe this early church was like a commune? And why do we believe the church supported the apostles where they didn't have to work outside jobs and they just handled God's word and the laboring of his word and teaching his word and discipling believers and running God's church? Read Acts 6, 1 through 5. Now, we're not going to study it, but I'm just going to bring it up here for the purposes of the... It's, it's a parallel passage. It's a, it's a scripture that, that really talks about exactly what I'm saying right here. Acts 6, 1 through 5. We read this. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint... Of, by the uh, a a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. They were feeding people with their money that was being brought in, that people were selling their stuff and bringing in the money. They were feeding widows. They were feeding people, as Paul talks about in an epistle. He talks about helping out the widows and having the widows and feeding them and taking care of them. The church should do that if they had no one else. And, And when you realize where they were holding church, Acts 5, 12, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, And this was—you keep seeing this term all along. They were all together with one accord in Solomon's porch. We never see them anywhere from Solomon's porch, and then earlier on, like Acts two or three, we read about them in each other's houses. But now they sold their houses, they sold their lands, and so here we see here that they're not only they sold their house, they holy land. They're feeding widows. They were in the temple. Uh, Verse two of Acts six. Then the 12 listened to this, summoned the multitude of disciples and said, "It is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables." So what were they doing? They weren't doing anything outside of taking care of the word of God. Studying the Word of God, preaching the Word of God, praying. Look, look. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among yourselves men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And look what happened. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, these thousands, these 8,000 plus Christians, and they chose dot, dot, dot. So the disciples and apostles were completely supported, and they had like a communal type of church, I believe is what I see. They were feeding people, they all had one, they sold all their stuff, and they came and lived together. They ended up choosing Stephen as part of the set one of the seven men, just by the way, just and he ended up getting killed. We'll talk about that in a a little bit here. And we know that the Bible continues to support the idea of apostles and pastors being paid uh, to do God's work because of what Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5. 17 and 18, let the elders, he says, and that word there for elder means pastors, let the elders who rule well, not just any slatjawed jawed yokel pastor thinks he's a pastor should be supported here, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, what is this double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine, for the scripture says you shall not muzzle out an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of of his wages. So we see these things. but, but the points of, you know, they br- sold all their stuff, they brought it to the church. The church then took it then and distributed it out and, and fed people and the, nobody had anything. Apostles were paid and they had a salary and and they, you know, they used their money and it was it's all right there. And, and there's no doubt about it. These early Christians in this Acts 4 church were totally amazing in the way they dealt with each other. And with the church as they were 100% one heart, one soul, having all things in common and working together as an amazing, perfectly oiled machine, supporting one another in God's church, having no schisms between each other, and totally sacrificing, loving one another with the agape love that Christ showed us at the cross. I just can't say enough good things about this early church, about this Acts 4 church. The most totally amazing 8,000-plus group of Christians that's ever lived on planet Earth, according to what Luke writes about them here in Acts 4. And sadly, none like them, as I mentioned earlier, has ever been seen, none like them in the way that they were, has ever been seen shortly after this, nor all the way through all the church history that we've ever seen. And unfortunately... Here, and I'm going to bring this up, this is the downside now. there's, There's a positive part of the message, and unfortunately, there's a negative part of this message too, unfortunately, about the church. Unfortunately, as the old saying goes, all good things must come to an end. And sadly, shortly after this amazing time where these X4 Christians were of one heart and one soul, the huge commune church, in my opinion, was infiltrated by Satan, and then it was separated and divided, unfortunately. Satan gets in with some Christians, Ananias and Sapphira, we'll read about them next chapter tomorrow, or next Sunday, excuse me, and they lie to the Holy Spirit, and God kills them, and as I said, we'll talk on that next week, and then the separation shortly after Acts 4, just a few chapters from now, Stephen, the servant whom was chosen to serve tables, is killed, making him the first martyr, and after his death, this beautiful church... Gets separated, unfortunately, Acts 8.1. Now Saul, consenting to his death at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So we see that this complete church is utterly and totally divided and wiped out, and they're all, everybody goes everywhere, and this Acts 4, Jerusalem church, is No more. But with all the separation, God uses it for good, of course, as he does for all things that he allows to happen to his kids. You see, because this persecution that came meant that the gospel went to more of the world than it had previously, right? And then more people than previously had heard the good news. And, of course, the more the good news gets out, hey, it's good news, and more people get saved, right, of course. But they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, but not in Jerusalem but the Acts 4 church the way we see it in this section was no more did any of these christians ever come back together and create the acts 4 church again sadly not the way we see it in scripture here the apostles stayed in Jerusalem for some time till history tells us that shortly you know after this at some point what happens all the apostles kind of separated as well too and they all went to different parts of the world india ethiopia africa all over the world the apostles went and and there was a church in jerusalem again even in the bible but it was never the same unity wise it was never the same financially it was never the same one heart one soul just a couple examples from scripture i'm sure there's more but you know so i won't be here for two hours galatians 2 11 through 15 paul says how he contends with peter why Now these were the leaders of the Jerusalem church. Peter was the main leader, one of the main leaders of the Jerusalem church, because Peter was acting like a hypocrite, because when the Jews had come, he kind of wanted to impress them, and he didn't want to eat with the Gentile believers, and so he only ate with the Jewish believers at the time, and then Paul called them out. He says, you're being hypocritical. Well, that's not one heart and one soul if we're being hypocrites, and we're eating with one people group and not another, so that's one way that the church never was the same, and And at least two other places in Paul's epistles, he writes about having to take an offering from other Christian churches in Asia to help support the Jerusalem church. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, and Romans 15, 14 through 32. Paul actually takes up a gathering. Well, if everybody had all things in common, still, and everybody was still selling their stuff, which unfortunately that kind of runs out, right? I mean, after we sold our stuff and we give it out of the church and we don't have anything left, then what happens then? They kind of like were very zealous, but not in a like a in an intelligent way, kind of thing, and then so that ran out. So Paul was actually taking up a, a co- you know a collection for this church because it was struggling, and it was no longer this X for church. A stark, stark contrast from no one lacking anything, right? If we had to take up a collection for the church. And not only did no other church outside the Bible ever match this Acts 4 church here in having one heart, one soul, 100% together and sharing possessions and having agape love for one another the way we see it here, but there was not even one church that we read of in the Bible that had this kind of spirit, even within the Bible's recordings of churches, unfortunately. Acts 20-28, through 28, I'm sorry, Acts 20-30, 20 through 30, Paul writes... Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's talking to the pastors that he's going to be leaders of the churches. He's about to leave to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, Paul says, and after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Well, that's not 100% togetherness and unity and altogether, right? Uh, Also, from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. 1 Corinthians 1, 10-13, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you. Well, Paul wouldn't have had to write, that there's, he wants them to have no divisions among themselves. If there weren't divisions among themselves, right? So therefore, they weren't of the same heart and the same mind. But he goes on to say, "But that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment." For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are there are contentions among you. Now I say this to each. Now I I say this that each of you says, "I am of Paul, or I am of Paulus, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ." Is Christ divided, Paul? Kind of rebukes them. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you were you baptized in the name of Paul? He's rebuking them because they weren't together anymore. There wasn't a togetherness. There wasn't a hundred percent unification like there was here in the Acts four church. Another church, same problems, divisions, Galatians 3, 1-4. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? They had forgotten that salvation was by grace through faith. They thought salvation became by works. Well, that's not in the unity of the Spirit. That's not like Acts 4. Peter, prophesying of the coming church in 2 Peter 2, 1-2. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. This was not Our Acts 4 church, no, 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 not at all. Jude 1, 3 through 4, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once and all delivered for the saints, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. Notice this wasn't something even coming from outside the church. This is men had crept in unnoticed. Satan had sowed his seed inside the church. He saw the Acts four church and he said, "Oh no, that's not. We're not going to have that. All this togetherness business." And oh no, 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 no. And so he started sowing things in there. Who long ago he says were marked out for the, this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord and God Jesus Christ. The church in Thessalonica, and Paul writes in Second Thessalonians, had allowed teachings that the rapture had already happened, and those there thought they missed it. Well, they were started falling into fear. And they were they were all shaken up in their mind, and their faith had been shaken. Well, that's not like, acts four church. They were filled with God's power. And how about Christ's writings to the seven churches in Asia? Did you know that every single church had huge problems? Every single church in Asia, Asia had severe and huge problems, unlike... The X 4 church. The church in Ephesus, Revelation 2 4, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. That means that they stopped loving Jesus Christ and they started falling just toward works, right? That's a huge problem. Revelation 2 8 through 11, uh, just the low lights, verse 9, I know your works, your tribulation and poverty. And he meant that financial poverty. They were in financial poverty. But he said, but you are rich, but that was spiritually rich. So that was a good thing, but they were a poor church. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Then Jesus tells them of the terrible persecutions and tribulations and sufferings and imprisonments, and and then they're about to be murdered and thrown into prison by Satan. Huge, huge problems. Poor, not wealthy. Church, unlike our Acts 4 church that we read of today. The church in Pergamus, Revelation 2, 14 and 15. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. This are is people that were bringing in these kind of teachings. Oh, yeah, let's do like Balaam. Yeah, let's be like Balak, right? And that was in the church. Wow. To eat things, sacrifice idols, to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I think I also hate. Wow, that doesn't sound like our X4 church. The church in Thyatira, Revelation 2, 18-20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit sexual immorality, to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Huge, huge problem, time and a time and time. Again, the church of Sardis, Revelation 3.1. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, spiritually, of course, but you are dead. Ouch, that was to one of God's churches, Revelation 3.8. For you have little strength. They had a tiny membership. This was a tiny, struggling church of their time. Far cry from 8,000 plus in Acts 4, Right? Far, far, far cry from a massive mega church that was all together and all unified and everybody having everything in common being of one heart and one soul. The church of the Laodiceans, Revelation 3, 15 through 17, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich but you and have become wealthy. I have no need of anything. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Again, far cry from everybody's together everybody's unified, everybody's together. The big church, it's constantly growing all the time. One of the greatest churches in the book of Revelation was one of the weakest physical member churches. Jesus Christ built this church up in a great way, yet they had little strength, meaning that they weren't very powerful. They they were just a tiny little church, and every single one of them, not one church that we read of, in the whole rest of the Bible matches our Acts for church. So, all that said, can we expect as a church today to attain to or match the one heart, one soul, zero schisms being 100% unified in every area, even in a commune type of a church way as in our Acts for Church here? Not that I can ever see coming. To me, I see this, Acts 4, unfortunately, uh, even biblically, as totally unrealistic. Considering that they were not even the it in these ways. And the devil crept in with the two disciples, Ananias and Sapphira, lying to the Holy Spirit, God killing them. And then the huge separation of the church coming. And then we never, ever, ever see this Acts 4 church Ever again in the rest of the Bible, it kind of tells me that, kind of unrealistic. Should those in God's churches strive to be where this Acts 4 church was? Absolutely. Absolutely we should strive to it, but to a degree, though. I don't think we should ever try to attain to the exact ways and the extremes that they went to, but I'll explain that in a moment uh, before you take me wrong on that. Christians out there, listen to me today. What can we take away from this Acts 4 church? Since I don't think we could take away their extremes, right? What can we take away from there being one heart, one soul, every aspect, total agreement? Uh, Can we, should we, you know, go back today to the way they did things, to the extremes that they went to? In my opinion, I don't think that we should. I I don't don't think we should. I I don't see any of these extremes as being feasible for any group of Christians today. Just as it wasn't, just as it wasn't for these Acts four Christians either. As as God ended up allowing that persecution to come and them to be divided. And as and as I was reading this and as I was thinking about that, I'm thinking, Wow, Lord, you know, you allowed that to come in. It almost reminds me, not in a but not in the bad way of you know, the Tower of Babel, but how God came down and he saw all everybody together and he said, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want everybody together. I want I, I want any togetherness, but no, we can't just all be in one spot. Let's go here and there, right? And I I saw that in how God allowed the persecution to come upon the Acts 4 church here, you know, just a few chapters later as God allowed them to be separated, not separated from one another in a bad way, but kind of divided in a sense to get his word to more. So in a sense, that was a good thing. I just kind of was thinking about that as I was reading these things. But I just see that this x 4 church is just unrealistic for our day as I see it was unrealistic for the Bible. But, but I, I, I don't think that's all though. I, I see other reasons why. I don't think that it's, it, we should be like exactly to their extremes like this x 4 church. Uh, God's word is deep. It's another reason. God's Word is deep, and iron sharpens iron. And these guys had everything in together in their thoughts, minds, doctrinal, doctrinal beliefs, everything. And, and you see, small disputes on non-essential truths of Scripture are actually good for Christians to have with one another. It's good for us to debate on things we don't understand. And when everybody's stuff is, and another reason, when everybody's stuff is everybody's stuff, how can those with less... Learn to trust in God as their provider. Remember, Jesus said you'll always have the poor among you, right? So how can those with less trust in God to be their provider? And how can those with more bless those unfortunate with financial gifts when God lays it on their hearts to do so? Uh, So what can we take away from them if not their extremes, if not their exact ways of being a church as I'm inclined to believe? Well, although I don't believe we can go back to do things the way they did to the extremes they went to, I do believe that Christians should take away, copy from them the things they did in a moderate way being led by God's Holy Spirit examples. If we see a fellow true Christian, especially one amongst our own selves and our own congregation, because need will come, Jesus said, remember, (laughs) the poor and the needy will always be among you. Uh, Sometimes it's going to happen. We should copy their sacrificial love for one another, but just with balance. Being generous with one another, but not to our own hurt. Selling all of our houses and all of our lands to do that, I... I just don't see that as a good thing that we should do today. I don't think it necessarily was good for them to do it there. If we have extra, as long as it's not to our hurt, I think we should be sacrificially loving uh, in, in our finances with others and giving of ourselves as long as, again... We have enough, and they need, and we can give, and we can bless, right? Uh, remember, James even rebukes the rich for withholding their finances from the poor in James's epistle. So, therefore, we do have a sacrificial love, but not quite a sell everything we have and go live in the you know go live in the temple church kind of thing i just just don't see that as the way god wants it to be uh, another thing we can copy their sacrificial love towards the church god has planted us in by one supporting it Because God's churches have different needs. One of those needs should be supporting their elders, their pastors who are worthy to receive it. Uh, Scripturally, those who are not lazy and good for nothing, but those who are laboring in God's word and keeping a guard on on your souls and praying and preaching the truth of scripture, teaching you God's words accurately, and, 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 and of course, feeding the needy in our own congregations, feeding not the needy of the world, who are unbelievers who don't believe in God, we're supposed to take care of our own, those that are in God's church, and this is what Jesus says: If you see your brother in need, right? This is who we're supposed to take care of, as this early church here, as they provided for their congregation and they're supporting their widows and supporting their congregation with their with their you know, with food, I'm just doing this, supporting the church and feeding others with balance. And in a way where you're not selling, again, all your houses and all your lands to do so. And and especially not because somebody's pressuring you to do such a thing. This is ridiculous. This is not it. But doing, but giving, as the Bible says. Paul, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. But not then, oh, I'll give 50 cents. But then not, I'm going to sell my house either. You got to have balance in the way you give. Uh, Number three, Agreeing on every section of scripture, 100, is impossible. Now we don't have the original apostles that walked with Christ Himself to interpret all the scriptures for us anymore, as they did. And God's word is so deep, and there are many different aspects and perspectives of it. So when scripture comes up, here's what the way I think we can copy their love for one another. When scriptures come up that are difficult, and one person believes one thing about them, and another person believes another thing about them, non salvific, non non you know foundational, just the little things, you know, non essentials of the faith then lovingly respecting one another and not coming to disputes that separate us right rather on non-essentials of the faith just agreeing to disagree and having good discussions and and good and healthy arguments over these things but not arguments that separate us into evil and to bad and if we do these things christian being led by God's Holy Spirit, using wisdom and balance, I believe that we can have just as powerful of a church of God today, having agape love for one another, having patience and understanding with one another, but not being extreme to our own hurt and being in God's perfect will. God is love, and he has called us as his children, those His two children, to love one another, even in the ways we looked at in Acts 4 today. And the Acts 4 church had lots of love for one another. But... Not in the super, super, super extreme, unrealistic ways in which they did. And that wouldn't be for us today as it wasn't for any other church in the Bible either. And as followers of Christ today, we should absolutely copy how these Acts 4 Christians were in, in in their church, but just not to the extremes they went to that even God didn't even allow them to stay in. He didn't allow them to last. So Christians out there listen to this message... Love the Lord with all your heart. Love God. Love your fellow man. Love your Christians. Be generous. Be supporting of your church. Be supporting with one another. You who have and see one of your brothers in need, then help them. But just not to the extremes that the Acts 4 church had. They were of one heart and one soul, and there 's a lot of that we could take away that 's good, but then there's some of it I believe that 's not good either, as we see the Bible didn't says that not even another church had it as well too, and Christians meditate on these things and love one another with sacrificial love, but be led by the Holy Spirit and by god's word because god 's word is the authority, right whatever god 's word says that 's what we follow, and let 's pray, thank you, Lord God. Thank you for your word and thank you for your love and thank you for, Lord, the examples, Lord, of how you laid things out to be in your word. Lord, if we were to see the Acts 4 church and the way we saw it here and all togetherness and people selling everything and being communal and living in house, and we were to see this Acts 4 church throughout the rest of the New Testament and that was the only church that we ever saw in the, whole rest, of the New, whole rest of the New Testament Bible, then, Lord, if we did it in any other way today, then, Lord God, we'd be wrong. But, Lord, that's not the last church that we see in your word. We see churches that are, you know, very they love you, but they have problems and they have to work through their problems and they have to work through being together and and being in togetherness. And then they have to strive to love one another and be in unity and things like that, because we know that whatever grace you gave these acts four Christians, obviously uh, that was just for a time because that that didn't last. But that's no excuse, Lord, for us to then not, do, not copy what they did, what we see in the rest of the New Testament, Lord. Because what we see them do in the rest of the New Testament, Lord God, is we see them helping one another and loving one another. We see them supporting the church. We see them supporting their pastors. We just don't see them doing it in the ways in which they did it here in Acts 4, Lord. So if we're not living like this, Lord. If we're not living in these ways, supporting our church, so you know, supporting each other, loving one another, sacrificially giving of one another, you know, sacrificially laying down our lives for one another, then Lord, then we are wrong. And Lord, I just pray that whatever your word says, however your word says we should be, if we really love you, Lord God, I pray that we would then strive to be those ways. Lord, thank you. And we love you and we praise you, Lord God. I just pray. That all your true churches and all your true children would follow your word as their example. And nothing, nothing, nothing less. We love you and we praise you, dear God. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.